Hi, welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast, the place for all things kids yoga. I'm Jessica Mujis, and I'm the founder of Gem Yoga here in New York City and a kids yoga teacher for over 10 years now. I'm excited today to continue with our Kids Yoga Perspective episodes, and I've got a guest today, Lara Hawkeiser. I really look forward to chatting, but first, I just want to give you a little of her background. Lara is the award-winning author of the My Yoga Workbook series and the founder of Flow and Grow Kids Yoga. Her new book, Yoga Animal Adventure, premieres this spring. Lara graduated cum laude with a BA in Spanish from Roanoke College. After she received certification as a registered yoga teacher, she started her own business, Flow and Grow Kids Yoga, and garnered notoriety for her training programs across the Northeast with plans of national and international expansion. The Flow and Grow Kids Yoga Registered Yoga School will launch the complete 95-hour course this winter. Lara has worked in the early childhood education sector for 19 years and has over 15 years of experience studying, teaching, and living the yoga path. Lara's blog won the number five kids yoga blog worldwide, claiming this title based on editorial choice for the free, high-quality resources, illustrations of children of all walks of life, tips for parents and teachers, and interviews. She follows a secular model to teach focus, relaxation, and healthy habits to educators, parents, children, and clinicians. Lara and her family live in Brooklyn, New York. She is proud to be teaching seven early childhood programs, including a Spanish language program, and at her daughter's school. Lara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jess. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, I know we met years ago when I think you had first relocated to New York. Yeah, it must have been five years ago oh, now. Wow, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so since then, um, it's, it looks like you've been doing a lot. So I'm really excited <laughs> to hear about it. Um, but first, I wanted to just learn a little bit about how you found kids yoga to begin with. Sure. So I stumbled into yoga by accident because my high school teacher um, it did like a 10-minute yoga series on Fridays during our math class. And I was just like rolling my eyes and thinking, oh, this is the stupidest thing because <laughs> I, I thought that about everything back then. It was interesting though because something must have kind of seeped in because when I got to college, I, I participated in a free program called Yoga for Everyone twice a week, the entire duration of my studies. And I actually took several college-level courses in yoga um, during that time. And all of a sudden, I found myself deep in this work. And I took teacher training after teacher training once I graduated college, including um, some kids' trainings. And what ended up happening is while I was a Spanish immersion teacher, uh, we were doing... Uh, like an SE, a social emotional learning integration program. And I just instinctively kind of wove that with kids yoga. And that was about 2008. So from there, that school had several different schools in the chain and they were having me first go to different classes inside my school and then go to different schools in the chain. And then 
the next thing I knew three years had passed and I was leaving the traditional classroom to pursue kids yoga basically full time. So since the end of the 2011, uh, 2010-2011 academic year, I have been fully in this world. That's amazing. I don't hear often that people are studying yoga during college. Was that, were those just classes that were available um, at your school? Like, was it just uh, basic yoga classes or were there different types of classes? Well, they had athletic yoga at my school, but I did not take that. I Mm -hmm. was really um, (laughs) not the most motivated person back then, but we actually had a 500-hour Kripalu-trained teacher that lived in the community who was able to, I think they must have paid her to come give us free classes twice a week. It was called Yoga for Everyone. It was a Hatha style, but there was really no flow. I did not see how like one pose related to another pose, Um, but it was quite accessible and you would have you know, the 70-year-old cafeteria workers in there with the, you know, 18 to 22-year-old students. Um, And even though I was not in a great place during college, I would say, I still showed up. Um, So there was something about it. And then that same teacher actually offered the university level. We we had to take a couple different PE or health-related classes because it was a liberal arts. So I ended up studying with her, and that's when I started to understand yoga philosophy and the lineages. And, um, I guess I must've gotten more interested than I even realized at the time. Yeah, that's amazing. So it sounds like you found yoga at a time where you needed it. And did you pretty much stick with it from then on? You just kept going? Yeah. Well, it was interesting because I remember at that time in my life, I would make choices that felt divergent from who I was inside and Mm -hmm. be like, who is this person doing these things? And that was really the beginning of my self-reflective life, like that inner life. Even though it had some shame and disappointment, I think that really woke me up. And there were definitely times I did less yoga. Like I lived abroad in Costa Rica and I remember practicing maybe twice when I was there. But, you know, I, I think that's pretty common for people to come and go from the practice. And, you know, when my daughter was born, I felt like a, such an imposter because I had been doing yoga for more than 10 years and yet... I didn't do baby yoga with her and I like, you know, but it's this, it's this foundation that you can always come back to. And now I have a very steady practice, although it's nothing like what I would have imagined when I was not a parent. So um, I would say it's, it's more on than off, but there's definitely room to take breaks. And I do think that that is kind of the pendulum that has to swing to keep you grounded to not, I don't know if you've ever had this where you got so into yoga that it was like your entire worldview. And, um, I also want to be aware that yoga is important to me, but it can't be everything. I I can completely relate. I've gone in so many waves with my own yoga practice, but I think the bottom line is like you come and go and it, it doesn't matter if you're doing a yoga class every week or going to a studio. I think when the principles are kind of underlying your life in a way, even if you're not consciously living them, I think it kind of stays with you. Like you said. Yeah. Um, and that was interesting what you said about, um, you felt like an imposter cause you didn't do baby yoga with your daughter. I've had an <laughs> so experience. That's too- what I am like right. famous for. Right. In New York, so. <laughs> I mean, I feel, I've felt the same with my kids. I'm like, I had all these visions of the yoga we were going to do together. And it just, it, it didn't happen and it doesn't happen because 
life is, you know, messy and crazy and raising children is hard. So I was well, curious. Also, we don't have to be their yoga teacher. Like yeah. I think, and I am now my daughter's yoga teacher, but she really took to yoga from watching me be myself in the house. I thought, you know, I'm an imposter, I'm an imposter, but at 11 months old, she rolled out her mat, picked up my chimes and started doing deep breaths. And it was not like I said, choo-choo, go do breathing. Yeah. It was like she just, obviously, so we, we might think we're not teaching them, but because that's who we are, we are. And they're, they're taking something from that. And so I don't think it's as formal as it would be if we were just their teacher. But because being a parent is not formal, it's very like, it's like this living, breathing organism that you're building your family every day that it can just be something they observe and are absorbed in rather than explicitly taught. And then they can have teachers that do that for them. Yeah. I mean, they learn so much more about who we are than what we say. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, I just want to note right now, we might be hearing my son in the background, um, in case anyone's hearing a little baby noises. Um, This is life. And uh, yeah, we might hear that. Okay. But getting back to this. So since becoming a mom, have you found your teaching has changed at all when you go to teach at schools or teach kids classes? Well, it's very interesting that I don't think becoming a mom is actually what changed me. I think it has happened in the past few years. So the evolution of my teaching is very different. Um, but it's much less because of being a parent and much more because of finally being myself. Mm. And I know like you wanted me to save a gem, but that is so, so important is being myself when I teach and coupling that with really letting the kids be themselves. Because for so long, I, I do a lot of after school programming and after school kids are tired and they can't just listen the way they do during the school day. And that I finally let go of making it a thing where they have to perform for me, which is really Mm -hmm. unfortunately what it becomes if you're trying to wrangle them and and get them to listen. And I've, I've started to see that as individuals, some kids are really into acting and drama and some kids are really into like, you know, it's just kind of looking at who they are and letting and pulling those elements into the class and not having it look like a formal yoga practice. I've let that go out the window and I've now started letting my yoga programming look a lot more like, a dynamic self-expression world where there is a lot of yoga and yoga philosophy happening. That's sort of the underlying um, message, but there's so much other stuff going on and it makes the kids motivated. Yeah, that's, that's so well put. Have you ever had pushback from parents who are like, oh, but I thought this was going to be yoga, quote unquote, where, you know, people have a certain vision of yoga, especially say if they practice yoga themselves. Have you ever encountered that? Well, when I was um, still in Boston, I had some very serious yoga parents bring their eight-year-old into my group. And as you know, eight-year-olds have such a depth and can be so profound and can also be very much little kids still. And it's Um, the development ranges so much. And so I remember the child saying, I don't want to play game. This is yoga. And having to say, well, listen to you, that's yoga, but to these children, that's not something we can all do. And so trying to find that compromise. Right. Um, but I haven't really had that type of pushback because my, my new business model since getting to New York has really revolved around student programming within schools. Um, 
when I, you know, in terms of like teaching children. So I have relationships with schools that give me full freedom to be myself. And I no longer am in the trap of having to perform either, which is like such a freedom. Um, it did mean leaving some really lucrative contracts mm. and being in no man's land for a while while I found the right fit. So I would say that that's no longer an issue. And if somebody were to complain about that, I would just send them my blog on, you know, I, I have lots of information on my blog about why I teach the way I do and all of the, you know, educational best practices that are, you know, in that vision. So they would not even question me after that. They would appreciate, I think that feeling that I am an actual authority now and knowing my wisdom has helped me let go of like letting myself be pushed around and know exactly how to respond to those. And when somebody asks me to do a yoga studio in their dance space or in a, in, or in a, a yoga class in a, a yoga studio, I will always preface it with sure, but this is what the program will be, you know, and, and yeah. just let them know my vision. And if that's not okay with them, then we don't work together. It sounds like you've come to this place of such confidence. And I'm wondering if that, did that take you a long time? I know you started, you know, a while so ago. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to I would that. Say it flows. It's, it's interesting because I'm really in a high point right now of my career because I have, you know, more programs than I can even manage. And, um, it, and I am picking places that make me feel good and that appreciate me and that, you know, will cry together in the office after seeing a child on the spectrum on their mat and participating and, you know, watching the evolution that we're not looking for perfection. We're looking to connect and, and to help kids have their context in their life. Like, why does this matter to them? And when we see that, and when I can have deep relationships with school administrators and teachers, that is really rewarding to me. So it's, for me, it's like, I have to be part of their community and I have to be independent. And that's like what I would tell somebody coming into this field is, to, to build those relationships if they, if you can. Yeah. Now, if someone's listening that is say they just did their kids yoga teacher training and they're kind of trying to find their path, is there any advice you'd give when someone is starting to teach independently or thinking of starting their own business? Mm. So follow your gut when it comes to opportunities. If something feels like it's not going to work, it probably isn't. And, you know, like I signed up, even last year, I signed a year contract at a school that had a big paycheck attached to it, but it was a soul-draining thing. And I knew inside my gut it wasn't the right thing, but I was in, so concerned with having enough income and all these things. So um, don't make kids yoga your whole bread and butter at the, at the start. Ease into it. Work with other people. Observe other people. Co-teach. Plan together. Um, you know, don't take one training, continue your education, be around great teachers and work in your specialty. Like, so I have to say like I, my specialty is early childhood through and through. I have done every single age group from the beginning to the end, you know, from prenatal to infants all the way to like elderly. And I now know where I am at home. So it might take some soul searching and some opportunities that feel a little weird, um, to figure out that special space for you. But a lot of people come into this field from education or counseling and they know the type of people that they connect with because that's who they've already been working with. So use your skills. Um, and like if you're a school teacher and you're 
on the edge of your career thinking stay in or stay out, take your last year, you know, in the school with your salary, start some after school programs, plant the seeds, don't just leap into it. Because even now in my I don't know what year, like I've been doing kids yoga programming since 2012 as my primary income. Um, Oh my gosh, can you hear that loud sound? I'm sorry. I, I think can't, it's fine. Construction. Okay. We are but in yeah, the Yeah, now I'm, I'm so appreciative that I have many different schools. So if one falls apart or one is no longer a good fit, um, I have other things to rely on. And the, the biggest problem I see is people think they're going to have the endurance and know how to just be a kid's yoga business. Don't. Just teach a couple classes, get to know yourself, build relationships, and the business can come but you don't have to start assuming that's going to be the right thing for you. I think a lot of people assume it will be, and then they spend all this money and all this time. And it's something that you should test and something that you should figure out what you're good at before you put the big dollar signs behind your um, pay ask. You know, like I would never have charged what I charge now 10 years ago. Right. And that's, I see that so often. I think we get excited because we, we, learn about kids yoga and we do a teacher training and it's so amazing. And it's, you see some classes and I've seen that often where people kind of want to jump right in, which is great. But like you said, it's just not realistic to immediately make that your primary income and make that your job. It's, it takes a lot of time practicing yourself and also just learning about how it works and yeah, what you're saying, it's it's very inspiring that you've kind of gone through the trial and error and um, have arrived at this place where you know that early childhood is like your sweet spot. And mm, yeah. Yep. And I love the babies. Yeah. <laughs> I love the toddlers. I, I love the preschoolers. My biggest kids this year are eight. And that's really interesting thing to like stop serving the middle schools and high schools because I, I can and I do a good job, but it takes more out of me than it gives me back because I can't just be myself. I have to really work to relate to those kids right? because I have been doing early childhood for more than half my life. It's just so easy for me to be with them and to understand them and to be present with them. And so when people think about this work, what's going to also put energy back in and not just take it out is a big consideration. So just because someone says, Hey, I have this opportunity for you to teach babies yoga well, that's a very specialty thing. And if you've been working with eight-year-olds your whole life, that's probably something you could support or observe, but not take on, you know, it's yes. like know yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I think you kind of sometimes do have to dive in and say, okay, and then try it and then see how it goes. I've definitely been there where, and then I've learned and grown from it, but I've also said, okay, maybe that age is not for me, or like you yeah. said, it doesn't give me back as much as I'm giving to it. Um, ha, what has been, have you ever had a class that you taught where you've had a challenging student or kind of felt triggered by someone? It's funny, even though they're so small, sometimes children can trigger in us something that maybe we're working on. Has that ever happened to you? And, and how did you deal with that? Yeah. So early in my career, so, you know, when I do teacher trainings, a lot of the people who show up are um, like music therapists, a lot of people that are like um, guidance counselors or clinical people. And so they have really helped me see that it's never personal because I used to say that the behavior was them doing something to me. And right. like, 
that was when I was also, remember, I started this in my early, early 20s. So I did not have the life experience to recognize it. But now actually having clinical people surround me and help me understand um, like developmental and traumatic and trauma reasons for behavior, I've been able to separate the behavior from it affecting me in any kind of triggering way. So um, in general, no. I, last year, I did have one kid who had Clearly was just in the wrong school. It was in a, he was in this private Montessori that I wasn't working at and he needed special services and needed, you know, lots of mental health care. He was maybe getting, I'm not sure, but it was a bad fit. And I was one teacher with 16 kids and it was really difficult. And he would have like these episodes where he'd smash his body into the wall and say he, he couldn't do things. And I hated him. And of course I would spend hours unpaid in his guidance counselor's office learning about him and figuring out what to do. Um, it did shake me to my core to be like, I'm not a good enough teacher for this person. But we have to remember that if we have autonomy of our teaching and there's someone in the class that we are not keeping safe or this class is not safe, I'm in a situation now in all my schools where I'm fully in charge. So if, if I had a kid like that and I didn't feel like I could keep him safe, I would say I have to have somebody with him at all times or I, you know, because it was actually a safety issue, right. but I didn't let it trigger me in the sense that I was like yelling at him. I never like lost my cool, but I certainly did lose control of the, that class. And it was interesting because I had three first and second grade groups and one was not functional and the other two were amazing. So it's like, I'm the same teacher. So I knew deep down that it was something about whatever this kid was, was going through and whatever was like the mix of him with those other students. And I did every th single thing I could. And at some point I just resigned to the fact that this group is the last group I'll ever take on that I don't have control. And, th and that's why I said like, I work in primarily daycares and preschools now where I have very tight relationships with school administrators. And in that school, it was a very big school and the administrators acted close, but they actually were not. And I picked up on the fakeness after I'd already agreed to work there. Mm. So that's why I want to, like one of my biggest messages is, make sure the relationship is bigger than the job so that when something's not working. So I think inclusion is great. I really do. Except for when it means the class will not be safe and that learning cannot happen. Right. So I am not a special educator. And I also wasn't even privy to his IEP. An IEP is a, a special education plan for students. So when, when we're, when we are not privy to that information, it's just too much to ask one person to manage a group when somebody would normally have a one-on-one -on -one aid in other situations. So these are the things you learn like to ask when you start somewhere. Or what if somebody's having a hard time? What would be the protocol? Who, where would I send that child if he needs to take a walk? You know, these are things I just didn't know when I was on my own on the fourth floor of a building, very far from the offices. And um, so to anyone listening who's teaching... Um, these are great questions to ask. What, what can I do if a child's melting down? And of course we do need to stay calm, but at the same time, sometimes you have to use a loud voice and say, stop, listen to me, please sit down, you know, and, and use your tone to let the child know that, that like kind of shake them out of it because all the other yogic practice is not going to, to reach that child. So, right. Um, that, that then brings me to, a topic I think people are often confused by. How do you discipline in a yoga class? Because some people 
are picturing, oh, you're, you're just going with the flow and, and you, you know, you let the kids do whatever, but there obviously have to be boundaries mm-hmm. in order to have the freedom. So what is kind of your, your general approach to keeping control of the room while also keeping that flexibility for the creativity to happen? So that's a great question. And now like this, this current school year I'm in, remember I'm, my oldest kids are eight. So I'm primarily with very little kids. So I never get angry at them because it's never them trying to be bad, never them doing something wrong. It's always that I need to come up with some way to reach them that I'm not currently doing. So to me, if a class is not going well, but some kids are responsive and some, and, and most kids are engaged and I can learn from it and I can come back the following class and look at what worked and start on that. So I'll give you a perfect example. I had a class. Um, I've been at a school that a brand new school I've been going to for about a month. And in one of the classes of two year olds, there's a boy who cannot, um, verbalize, but he does have nonverbal communication and he never sat on his mat except for when I would put relaxation music on, he would lie down. So this past week I started with the relaxation music and he was on his mat for 15 of the 20 minutes. So I'm looking at individuals and what their needs are and I'm meeting those individual needs. And what ends up happening is when we slow down and meet the need of one special need, everybody benefits. Everybody benefits. Um, In my daughter's class yesterday, there are three. We had uh, one boy who's been too nervous to join. He's been aloof. So I realized he was very much into the special chime I have. And so at the end of the class, I took it out and I invited him to lead, be the leader of the breath. And now he sat with us for the last few minutes. So I'm looking for the kids who need space, giving it to them and finding ways to draw those kids in. Um, when I have, you know, I've got eight-year-olds that are, can be bratty or know-it-all or rude, interrupting or like lose control of their bodies. My fives and six and sevens can be like that. But I'm, I'm with them from 3.30 to 4.30 or 4.30 to 5.30. So I'm thinking, they're tired. They've had a long day. What do they need? So I start those classes with a check-in and say, what can we accomplish today? This was my plan. Do you think we can do this? How much of this plan can we do? So I try to bring them into it. I give them freedom. Um, so those are hour-long classes. They get 10 minutes of choice time before, after we check in before we do any work. Um, I'm doing a ton of art and drama with those kids because that's what they're into. But the yoga is, is woven into those themes. So for me, it's been really seeing that the misbehavior is because they need to run, they need to play, they need to sing, they need to express, they need to talk and finding ways to allow that. And then if there's still issues, like last week I had a girl who had just sat on her mat for the last five weeks, but she signed up for another session And I asked one of the people who knew her better, hey, is something going on with this girl? I keep asking her to participate and she's saying no, but she's showing up and she's excited to be here and she says she loves me. Oh, and I found out that her brother had had some problems and was going through some medical stuff, you know, and Mm. after I asked the other teacher to talk to her about it, she became much more motivated so a lot of times it's bringing in other people because if you spend half an hour with a kid a week, there's probably someone in the building who spends much more time. If it's a parent, if it's a, a teacher or caregiver that they know better, um, recruit that person to help you. You don't have to know everything. So I don't really do behavior management 
anymore. I, I definitely would have said a very different answer two years ago or 10 years ago. Um, but now for me, I've let go of it looking like yoga and I've, I've started allowing things to be real and, uh, important to the kids. Yeah. So it's like, you're starting from a place and the, the tone that you're setting and the respect you have for the children creates an, an atmosphere where there's not this like traditional discipline that people are seeing. It's more, you're, you're meeting the children where they're, where they are. And I think that sets them up for success. And there's a lot less dread, you know, like it's really interesting to have kids sign up for your, a lot of the schools I'm in after school, the children decide they want to do yoga. They self-select, but to have kids self-select every term for the last four years and then roll their eyes, the whole class, it's like, okay, it's not about the yoga. It's just that this child is going through a, a period of their life where they're too cool for school feeling. And there's some little kid in there still wanting to be reached through like storytelling and songs. And you have to figure out what that thing is that reaches that kid. They are being a punk everywhere if they're being a punk with you. you know? Right, yeah. Um, and not taking it personal is one of the best things I ever learned. I, I, I trained a, a music therapist who taught me that it's not about me. And I, when, once I realized that, I started to get more curious. The curiosity of mindfulness, right? What is this? has helped a lot. What is this? What is going on with this person? Sometimes you can ask, but children don't have the self-awareness to answer you succinctly. So observing, allowing, witnessing, being creative and curious instead of just being angry has been like a gift. And I can laugh with like at myself and with myself instead of just being like, I failed. It's like, oh, that was tough, but I've learned something about this kid. And next time I will try this other thing because I've been curious enough to not block out who this person is. Right. So how do you arrive at a place where, like, what do you do for yourself in order to be at that place where you're able to teach from this open mind and seeing the children where they are? Do you practice self-care is such a buzzword. Like, are there things you do for yourself Mm -hmm. before you teach or after you teach that help you take care of yourself? That's a great question. And I would say last year was my worst year teaching internally. I would say people up onlookers would have been like, this is good. For me, it was, I was surviving. And because I was commuting so much and working so much, I had so little time to actually take care of myself. And so when I left that big contract and started to piece together different jobs, I created automatic time for things that make me me. So one thing I'm doing once a month, I do um, like an open mic poetry reading. Um, during the week, I go to the gym and do like cardio or high intensity interval training or strength training at least two to three times. I'm going to a yoga studio at least twice a month and I'm following a strict home practice like three times a week. And I'm doing qigong in the mornings. And I know that sounds like so, so much, but I don't start until 9.30 or 10.00. And so if my husband's day to bring the daughter, I get to stay home and do Qigong before I go in. Like I, I help her get ready till 840 and then I have 20 or 30 minutes to myself. And so building in that time, like Wednesdays after I teach my daughter, I have three hours before I have to leave for my next job. So if I, you know, I don't schedule the whole thing to be me writing or me on calls. I, I actually spend much more time on my body and 
I was in so much pain last year because carrying a 32 pound, who's now 35 pound person, and I wasn't exercising, I had chronic neck and back aches. And so those are gone because I'm exercising Mm -hmm. pretty much every day, even if it's 15 minutes, but most days I'm doing much more than that. Um, and it's, it's been, uh, a lot of schedule tweaking and working together with other family members to make sure there's at least one day a week I'm sleeping till seven. There's at least like a couple windows during the week I'm exercising. I know you're probably like, Oh my God, you do all that. But I got to the point where I hated going to work and it, this is my calling. So imagine coming to a point where you hate going to work and this is your calling. What do you even do? But I'm not going to retire at 34. So this was what I needed to do. Um, the other thing is like, this sounds silly, but just having food in the house that I can make a smoothie and put chia seeds and like spirulina and wheatgrass into a blueberry and banana smoothie. And that sounds really simple, but doing that over just eating like bread and butter, which is like, I was living on bread and butter last year because I didn't take the time to, I got everything from everyone else in the house, but me. So I finally started recognizing how much better I am as a parent and a teacher when I do these things. Yeah, it's super inspiring right now. I'm in this place where my son's 10 months old and my daughter's four and I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I've got very, very little time or even attention that I'm giving to myself. Like you said, I, I go shopping, I get food for everyone else and I'm not usually thinking of myself. What do I need? Yeah, but I think it does. It, It starts from there. Let me say this. It has been a huge financial sacrifice because I am not working as much as I could be. And I am spending good money on real groceries. And I look at it as an investment in the future because in another year and a half, my daughter will go to school for free. And right. at that point, you know, you know, cause she's not doing that right now. And we're paying for, you know, it's a life is expensive when you have little kids. And I know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel And we're just kind of tightening our belts right now and living, you know, we haven't gone on a trip since our honeymoon. We used to do two trips a year, but we are looking at it as like, we'll just take a break from those other things we do to be able to like have the date night once every couple, like, you know, just finding sacrifice in, in the things we look forward to, to be able to look forward to every day has been a big thing. And I do think in a couple more years when childcare is no longer a thing and, you know, I I do think, and for you too, like there'll be a day they're both in public school. Right. And you will, what, and I I think once my daughter was two and a half. So when you're little, what's his name? Ryan. Ryan. So when Ryan's like two and a half, you'll get some more bodily autonomy. He won't need your body as much. And it's like, those are like that two and a half was a major turning point for me. We're not even sure we're going to have a second kid because I'm finally, fe- I was not feeling good for years from the moment I got pregnant until about a month ago, I was not feeling myself. Yeah. And I think making the decision to have another kid is something I'm not even sure about because I want, I'm like, I, there's no way I could keep doing my business. And I'm so, I'm getting so much satisfaction from working with these babies and toddlers. And I, I just wonder was having a second kid something I just assumed I should do? Will it actually make me happier? And that's something I'm not sure yet. Yeah. And and this, that brings in your yoga practice is like, and all the self-care you're doing is helping you to be at a place where you can think that way rather than just 
doing what you think you should do next, what, you know, what everyone else is doing or what, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to find for you what that truth is, but it sounds like right now in your business, you're at such a good place, you know, working in, in schools and places that give you joy and that you're, you're enjoying the people you're working with. So, yeah, it is really a big benefit this year that I've gotten, got, you've really just made sure everybody I work with trusts me and I trust them and that there's open communication. And, um, I also have to say I discontinued school programs that my teachers were working at because last year I had teachers dropping the ball at all of my sites because I didn't have enough bandwidth and I wasn't charging enough to mentor and to, um, pay them enough that they actually cared enough about the job. So after seven years of offering that like service where my teachers would go to schools and it was a huge source of income. I cut it off completely and I've only just started adding sites in. I have one, two sites with a teacher right now, but at one time I had 15 and, and it was growing and I pulled the plug on it because I realized this is not sustainable because I'm not one charging enough, right? Cause I, I'm working with schools that are not willing to recognize that it's not an hour you're paying for. You're paying for both the commute there and back and all this person's experience and education and the fact that that one hour is half their day. So like working with schools that are willing to get the money, schools can get money, period. Just, just all listeners out there thinking about going into this work, if a school wants to, they can get money. They just can. And if they don't, they won't. And it's not worth chasing schools that are not willing to. Yes, plant the seeds. Yes, have the conversations. You and your teachers are worth whatever it is you need to charge to live where you live and deserve a living wage. You've worked very hard to do what you're doing. And teaching kids yoga is extremely difficult and something that takes so many different skills. So yeah, please find your value. Exactly. Work with, work with places that will pay what it's worth. And I, I know you do like your Gymboree programs and I'm sure that they're able to charge enough that you get a, a fair payday. Um, but it's like, you're not doing a million programs obviously, because not every single institution will, will be able to, to, to work in that model. And so you, you're finding places that do, it's better to find a few good ones than to do a million programs and barely make any money. Exactly. And that's been a struggle in my own business is the overhead of, if you are sending an instructor instead of yourself and, um, charging enough so that that's worth your while. And then adding into it that we have young children. So if you are teaching, you're paying for the childcare. Yep. So, but with that is we come with so much experience and, um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely a give and a take. Um, how have you found, the, the businesses or the schools that you want to work with? Like, how do you know? Are there any signs for you when you have that initial conversation? Um, what sure. have you learned over time with that? Well, the way someone emails you is really indicative of something. Do they respond in a timely manner? Do they use your name? Do they, you know, offer to talk to you on the phone if you've asked for a phone call? How did the phone call go? When you go to the website, what are the values of that institution? Who are the people running that institution? Can you get along with them? Like I really try to work with places that are aligned with me. So I'm pretty progressive. So I'm at all progressive independent schools right now. 
why am I not working in the public sector? Because there's too much red tape, because it's all grant-based since grants dry up. I want things that are sustainable. So I'm looking personally for sustainable things. Daycares and preschools don't close in the summer or just close for a few weeks. They're okay if you need a week off. Um, also, because I'm working in a lot of places that are so, so specialty, I can't really sub out. So I do like lose money if I don't go in. But I've also created a training program that I is part of my 95 called Mindful Beginnings to teach people how to do yoga with people ages zero to five in yoga studio and educational settings because I know that I'm full right now and I want to be able to expand my business, but that is such a special skill set. I wrote a textbook on it last summer because I'm that crazy. I just, I like couldn't find the resources needed and I couldn't support my, I tried sending people in to do early childhood and I'm sure you've had this experience. Unless you really, really know little kids, it doesn't matter what you know about yoga, period. A hundred percent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And your expectations have to be right. Like I go into a school and I have a 50% chaotic experience, but there were great things about it, but it's two-year-olds and they were intermittently focused and they, you know, participated for some and listened for other parts. And I'm going to commend that as a success. But I think an untrained person would think, well, they weren't a hundred percent watching the whole time, but that's not age appropriate. Very few two-year-olds can spend 25 minutes with their eyes peeled on one thing. Like it just, it's so age appropriate for them to be in and out and for us to redirect and shift the focus. And that's our job as a present teacher. And so like, it's, it's become an art form for me to even look at the hard days as just, this is not a hard day because of me. The kids are going through their own experience and there's nothing I can do to override that. Right. Absolutely. But having your own company is very, very expensive. And right now I'm I have a lot going on, but I'm not making more than it costs yet. I'm very close to breaking even. Um, I have like three more months until I will be making something. I've taken about seven months unpaid because I don't know if you've seen all of the online, like I do the lesson plan units and I, I get all of that illustrated by, I have a um, designer on retainer every month who makes a salary. So she gets paid and we are nearing the place where I'm going to get paid again too. And, um, that's great because like my husband just started nursing school. So now I'm the sole provider. So I do think owning your own business. Yeah. You can just do what some people do and just send people to schools. But for me, I needed something more because I needed this. I needed there to be something to help teach the kids. I needed to like help the teachers that I can't personally train by providing those things. It was something that my, like a calling that I had to do that was so deep inside me, like I could not silence it. So I had the luxury of being able to do that um, in you know a two-parent household. And now I no longer have that luxury. So I am really hitting it hard and teaching a lot more. And it's the perfect timing because all of my students who've taken my training are ready to do the other parts of my 95, which is launching. So um, it's like, everything is happening in its right time, even though I felt for so long that I was failing and doing the wrong thing. And I was making this big mistake and I like questioning myself, but, um, we have to really take a long view and we have to like, think about our personal financial situation and whether we can afford to build a full blown business or just something more simple, a smaller business model where you just simply have a phone and you pick it up and you assign a teacher to a site. And that wasn't me. 
that didn't feel like what I wanted to, a lot of my colleagues do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're coming to the point. um, It's funny. The final question is always some practical advice. I feel like you've given so much, like I'm super inspired (laughs) right now, but I guess, (laughs) is there anything you haven't shared yet? I call it our little kids yoga gem. Um, Basically one piece of practical, practical advice for someone who might just be starting out in kids yoga. Sure. I think remember yourself, be yourself, remember your teachers, channel your teachers. Um, If you don't consider yourself to have teachers, train more. You deserve it. I know a lot of people come to the industry, don't have a lot of money to start. It is absolutely worth your while to reach out to a school and say, hey, I cannot afford your full training. Can I pay you half now and half in two months? I've done that for a million teachers because you need to have that that, that knowledge. You need to spend time with great teachers. And I'm so glad I have spent time with great teachers. I have trained. I did an entire 100-hour kids yoga program on an ashram. I also did um, uh, my first yoga's training. I did little flower yoga's training, two of them. And um, I've d- I did a couple. So I, uh, what was it called? A uh, Where did I meet you? What's it called? Again? Oh, a yogi, yogi beans. beans. Yeah, you- I did a yogi beans. I worked for you guys for five minutes when I, you know, before I realized yeah, I wanted to build my own. And I did the um, little training there. So I would say continuing ed, be yourself, channel your teachers, and let the kids be themselves. Yeah, very well put. Now, where can we find you if listeners want to find your blog and find your workbook and learn about your training? So my website is flowandgrowkidsyoga.com. The blog has its own tab. There is so much information for teachers there about how to, like, about your career. There's yoga pose breakdowns there. So like how to cue popular poses, tons of other information, like on mindfulness, on yoga, on early childhood on elementary uh, runs the gamut. Um, if you go to my, to train with us, you can see opportunities for professional development, school programming, teacher trainings, all that's there. Um, and then the shop has all the stuff I was telling you about, like my books that I've written as long as well as downloadable things. You can download like the Yamas and Niyamas lesson plan. If you're interested in yoga philosophy and lots of other stuff there. Um, and then you can email me from my website, flowandgrowkidsyoga.com has like a little contact us and you can subscribe to the newsletter. We send about one newsletter a week, um, which gives out lots of great information. I, I write something new for the blog every week. We've got tons of stuff going out that is really in service. And also, um, the, the things we create, the more people that help, you know, that purchase it, the more kids that get to have access to it. And also it helps keep me going. So um, any anybody who would go to my site and just wants to say hi or make a purchase, thank you so much in advance. Um, on Instagram, we are at Flow and Grow Yoga. On Facebook, we are Flow and Grow Kids Yoga. Um, yeah, and I'm Lara Hawkeiser on Facebook. And my Instagram handle is at Lara Yogini. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking. I am very excited for people to hear this and learn from you. And just thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. And thank you for making this podcast. I can't wait to go through and listen to the first two episodes and let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Namaste. Namaste. And now a word from this week's sponsor, Lara's daughter, Charlie. 
Choo Choo, what is yoga? What's something you like about yoga class with mommy? It's box in yoga. What'd you say? It's, it's the one on blocks and soft blocks in yoga. No, the soft blocks aren't part of yoga. What about medi, Teddy? The hard, do we, do we, the hard blocks. Do we do medi, Teddy? Yes. Yeah. With a relaxed face? Why are you coming to my school? Yeah, mommy comes to your school and we do... I'm coming out. I'm going to pick me up and do yoga at my school. We did yoga yesterday. Again? And I'll come next week.